today. Psalm 119, if you find your way there, and if you're joining us by way of internet, Facebook this morning, whatever means that might be, we invite you to grab your notes. It's a way to follow along, and uh, I'll, I'll try to follow along with the notes myself. The value of God's Word. What must I do with God's Word? We talked about what God's Word is in week one. Last week we talked about what can God's Word do for me. And this week we're going to talk about what must I do with God's Word. You see, when we learn something, I believe there's an obligation for us to use what we've learned, whether it be God's Word or if God gives us a talent or a skill, or uh, really if we're not going to use it, do something with it, then what's the value of having it? So today we're going to talk about what must I do with God's Word. I have something that God's given me. I understand what it is. I understand what it can do for me. Now what? must I do with it? I hope that you uh, have looked at some of those passages of Scripture, and again today there will be many of those that we won't talk about that are listed in your notes, but letter A here in your notes, we must study to understand God's Word. Study to understand it. At least 12 times in the Psalm, Psalm 119, the psalmist says, teach me. Teach me. It's as though he's going along in life because most scholars believe that this was written over a long life. And whoever the writer is, most attributed to David, some argue with that point. But whomever it may be, the psalm, there's evidence that it was written over a long period of time. And if you really notice the the context of what you're reading as you get toward the end of the psalm, you can tell that there's some things that he's learned from life experience. But it's as though he's going along in life and he's reminding God, okay, God, this is the seventh time I've asked this, but I really want you to teach me. I want to understand what's going on in your word. Psalm 32, 9 says this, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding. How many of you have had experience with a horse or a mule that just locks his legs and he's not going anywhere? He ain't moving. How many of you know some people like that? <laughs> Maybe when you look in the mirror in the morning, you see somebody like that. Which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Uh, when you put that bit in that jaw, and you get it pulled back in the right spot, then you can control. But what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 32 is just, don't be like that. Have understanding of God's Word. It's our road map to life. It really is what causes us to be able to experience the abundant life that God gives us. It's like directions. Most men don't read directions. I can look at it on the box and have some idea in my head how it goes together. I ain't getting out the direction. It just takes longer to read them things. Now, 
then you wonder why you have all those parts left over at the end. Dr. Tony Evans tells a story. Most of you know who Tony Evans is. He's on the radio quite a bit. Great Bible teacher and scholar. He said when his oldest son was young, he bought a bike for Christmas. He said it came with a manual that explained how to put it together. He got this box down and I had no intention of using that manual. When it came to intelligence, he said, I really figured I had enough smarts to put together a bicycle. I'd finished 12 years of academia after high school, and I thought, with all of that, surely I can put a bicycle together. And, uh, but unfortunately, that uh, bicycle had a lot of boats and nuts, he goes on to say. And it, but he said, I had firmly decided that I didn't need this manual. And then he says, eight hours into this, putting this bike together with very little to show for my work, my wife finally said, why don't you read the manual? Could it be that the writer of the manual has a little more expertise in putting bikes together than someone scholarly and biblical study. Just like he was a little stubborn to read the manual for the bicycle, many of us are a little stubborn to read the manual for life. And wouldn't you think that the maker of life, the giver of life, the creator of you and me, as Miller shared with that story, I heard that story the other day on the radio that he was talking about, some of the detail that they went into. If God went to that much, not trouble, because it wasn't in trouble for God, but to that much uh, specific detail to create you and me. And then he gives us a manual to live by. What do you think it would be to our benefit to read it, to study it, to understand it? I think so. It talks about, all through the psalm, it talks about the maker, the work of God. Verse 27 says that we ought to understand the work of God. Let me get to the text. It says this, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. To understand the work of God. We, we can't understand who God is if we don't read the text about God. Verse 73 says this. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. That word fashioned there means to the deliberate putting together of. Genesis 2 tells us that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now think about it. Walk along, there's, you can't get too much dust in Florida because there's too much sand. But if, if you get to a spot where you can really stir up some dust, that's fine stuff. The Bible says that God formed us and made us out of the dust of the ground. He knew what he was doing when he put us together. But to say that God is our creator is to recognize a few things. Listen to this. That we are obligated to him as the one who gives life. So 
So if we're going to be obligated to him, we need to understand what he expects. Study to understand his word. That also, that not only we are obligated to him as one who gives life, but that we respect him as one who is greater and smarter than we are. Some of us think sometimes, especially when our ego gets a little bit big and we think we know how to do things and life's going great, we kind of forget about who God is. Thirdly, that He is our designer, knows what's best for us. He knows what's best. And fourthly, that since our beginning is connected to the invisible world, before we were made, He knew us before the foundation of the earth. So our end will also be in the invisible world. We're going to live eternity in a place that we know nothing of other than what's in Scripture. So we ought to understand it as best we can. Read it. Study it to understand it. Spurgeon says this. I like reading Spurgeon. He's a little difficult to read, but I like reading it. If God has roughly made us, formed us out of the dirt of the ground, and had not also elaborately fashioned us, this argument would lose much of its force. But surely from the delicate art and marvelous skill which the Lord has shown in the formation of the human body, we may infer that he is prepared to take equal pains with the soul till it shall perfectly bear his He not only made us to be in human form, but he made us to be in his image, his likeness. So he's Constantly molding us and, and fitting us and changing us so that not only will we be physically unique, but spiritually as well. And we learn that from searching the scripture and studying to understand scripture. Verse 125 says this Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. He wanted understanding, not so much to know the future or some hidden secrets of his soul but to know more about God. We need to understand Scripture so we can understand the character of God. Let it be in your notes. Meditate and memorize Scripture. We have that obligation. We must do that. If we're going to get all of life and, and the abundant life that God has planned for us and the blessing of life that God's planned for us, we must meditate and memorize Scripture. Verse 11 of that passage 119 says this Thy word I have hidden in my head that I might not sin against God. No. Because there's so many things that go in here that just kind of fall out or don't get stuck. Psalmist says, and he's intentional here, the word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. How many of you like to eat? And I love to eat. You don't have to be hungry to eat. You have to have something to eat. I love to eat. Meditation is to the soul what digestion is to the body. Think about that. We, to meditate means to turn over God's word in our mind and our heart. To examine it. To tear it apart. To, to break it down like digestion is in the body. To Compare scripture to scripture to feed on its wonderful fruits. But meditation is so rare. We think about the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season and how much attention it takes to, to 
to take care of all the obligations that we find ourselves committed to. And it distracts us. And it's hard to just sit and meditate and to take some time and just think about something for very long at all until we're distracted. We need to chew it up. Allow it to be consumed by our heart and by our spirit. Verse 23 says we need to meditate on God's Word so that we can be able to handle the difficulties in life. Let's see what this says. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. When the difficulties in life come against us, when those oppress us that would that would oppress us and, and put us in harm's way, what the psalmist is saying there, that if I know Scripture, if I've hid it in my heart, I'll be able to withstand those difficulties in life. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hope. Until I allow God's word to get into me, it's not really going to matter how much I get into Until I allow God's word to get into me, it's not really going to matter how much I get into God's, God's word. I have to allow it to settle in my spirit. I have to, to, to meditate on it, to chew it up, to digest it. It must get in me. Meditation is nearly impossible without memorization. Get it in my mind so I can chew on it. And, and just a little nugget maybe every day that I can think about. Allow it to become part of me until it becomes, as the psalmist said in verse 11, hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It has to be deeper than just a head knowledge. I don't mean memorize it like I used to memorize questions for a test in high school because I had a really good short-term memory. And I could grab that textbook or that study sheet about 10 minutes before the exam and I was good to go. But ask me 30 minutes after that test. I probably failed the same test I just ate because I didn't allow it to get into my heart. I just allowed it to get back in. That's as far as it went. But you know what? I really loved math. And I can still remember learning math because I approached it differently. And I used it and I allowed it to be a part of me. And even when I went to work, I did a lot of things with math skills. There's a lot of those things that I still remember. I tutored math in high school in, in college. And it became a part of me. Because I allowed it to become a part of me. And it's still as fresh today as it was in some of those high school math classes. Because it went farther than just here. It became a part of who I am. Not only study it to understand it, meditate and memorize it, but we have to love it. We have an obligation to love God's Word. The way you treat your Bible is the way you treat Christ. And I don't mean necessarily just physically treating your Bible, but do you spend time with it? I mean, you have someone you love in your life. Most of us have a, a spouse or a close friend or a family member we love. And we love to spend time with them. 
if we if we're gonna love God's word, we're gonna have to spend some time with it to get to know it. The psalmist says at least six different times that the word is the a delight to him and not a disappointment. Psalm one nineteen forty seven says this I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Here's Spurgeon again. I think I put this one in your notes. Yes, a true love for the great book will bring us great peace from the great God and be a great protection to us. Let us live constantly in the society of the law of the Lord, and it will breed in our hearts a restfulness such as nothing else can. Oh, I found that true in my life. It can bring a restfulness in my, in my heart, to my soul, such as nothing else can. We must love it because it never changes. Look at verse 113. I hate the double mind, but I love your law. What the psalmist is saying there, it's consistent. What you said yesterday, God, is going to be the same thing you're going to say tomorrow. And what you're saying tomorrow is going to be the same thing you said today. And I can depend on God's word being constant and never changing. Love it because it is the standard by which God will bring judgment to those who oppress us. Verse 127. Therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than the gold. Therefore all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. And the psalmist had just gone through talking about those who oppress him. And then he ends with ends that way. Therefore I love your commandments. Because it's going to be what God judges those who oppress us. Love it because it's the source of peace. And that's what Spurgeon was saying there in 165. It says this, Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. You know people in your life that seem to have all kinds of difficulties, yet there's peace in their heart. It's because they've learned to love God's word. D in your notes, we must trust it. We have to trust his word. Even when we don't understand it, maybe even when we don't agree with it, we have to trust it because everything about it is right. It's true and can be trusted wholly. To argue with the Bible is to argue with God. And we must test every other book and every other precept by what God's Word says. And many, many times we have to test even our own belief by the word of God. How many times have you been reading something in God's word and you go, wow, that's different than what I've been taught. Or that's different than my tradition. Or That's, that's just different than what I understood. Martin Luther, probably uh, one of the most influential people in shaping the Protestant Christianity movement in the late 15th and early 16th century. One of the most notable theologians in Christian history was raised in the Catholic Church, become a monk and then a priest, later a professor and scholar in the Catholic uh, college system. And as he began to immerse himself more deeply into the Word of God, Especially when he got to the epistles written by the Apostle Paul. God's truth broke through. And Luther began to 
understand and begin to uh, change his way of thinking about some very strong doctrinal issues. He says this in Ephesians 2.8. He said, I begin to understand that I was saved by grace. That's not what I've been taught. Through faith. That's not what I've been taught. When he began to teach as a professor at the University of Wittenberg in Germany, he found his new enthusiasm began to spill over into his lectures and his discussion with staff and faculty. He spoke passionately about Christ's role as the only mediator between God and man. If you know anything about the Catholic Church, that's totally opposite of what they believe. Luther now felt that salvation was God's free gift and there wasn't anything he could do to earn it. It didn't take long for his radical ideas to be noticed. And in 1514, Luther began to serve as a priest for the castle church. And people flocked to hear God's word preached as never before because it was different than what he had been taught. He began to understand and he learned of the practice of uh, selling of indulgences. If you've ever read any of his biography or any history on Martin Luther, you've read about this. And the Pope, according to his discretion from the treasury of marriage from the saints, sold religious merits in exchange for building funds. And the idea was that the more you gave, the less time that you would spend in purgatory or maybe even be able to and on October the 31st, 1517, Luther nailed his famous 95 Thesis. What that was was 95 things that he didn't agree with that God had showed him in the Scripture about things that he had been taught. He nailed this famous 95 Thesis to the castle church door and put it on the university's bulletin board formally challenging church leaders on the practices, the things that were contradictory to, the God, to God's Word. As you can understand, it caused some tension. And he was brought in before a group of, of his peers and, and the Pope. And he was asked to recount his statements in that 95 Thesis. And what I've put on the board here is just a portion of what he said. And I'm going to read a little bit more than that. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, I am bound by the Scriptures. I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, may God help me. Amen. Scripture binds our conscience with God. Therefore, we must trust it. Even when we don't understand it or if it's contradictory to what we've been taught because it is true. And as verse 41 says, there is the source of our salvation. Not only must we trust it, but we must obey it and keep it. We have a responsibility since we know what it is and we know what it can do for us. And we must obey it and keep it. What will it keep us from? From evil. Verses 59 and 60 says this. 
I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Knowing God's word can keep us from evil. Psalm 119.11 I had it in my heart so that I might not sin against God. It should cause us to be as Jeremiah when we see others who do not keep the word. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Verse 136 says this, Rivers of water run down my eyes because men do not keep your word. It should bother us when we see people, especially in the church, not abiding by God's word. We must obey it and keep it. The psalmist was not sorrowing over his own troubles and his own issues, but he was sorrowing because of the way people were handling and keeping God's word. To keep the word means to obey it, to walk in the commandments. But if we know God's truth and fail to obey it and keep it, we're only fooling ourselves. We're only setting ourselves up for the fall. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, To obey is better than sacrifice. I can remember as a young child, Nothing made my parents any more satisfied or happy about me than when I was obedient. It wasn't the gifts I gave them, but it was when I followed instruction. God's word is the same. F in your notes. We must share it. Verse 13 says this, With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your lips. We've got to repeat what's in God's word. We need to share it. You know, we can live it in front of people, and that's good. We ought to do that. But the, what the psalmist is saying, there comes a time when we have to speak. He says, with my lips, with my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your lips. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if we're not sharing it, they're not hearing it. And if we don't have it hidden in our heart, we better have it in our pocket. We need to be able to share it with those around us. I heard uh, Max Cato talking this week, and he was on a program, and I can't remember the name of the program, but they were talking about Deuteronomy 6, where the writer there is, Moses is declaring that we need to, to talk about God's statutes when we get up, when we lay down, when we sit at the table, we need to bind them around our neck, and and the conversation was that someone had uh, he had, he had met someone in a conference Max Cato had that was talking about how we ought to allow our kids to become their own people. We didn't need to instill our values into their life. Max Cato responded like this, well, if we don't instill our values, God's values, following Deut the instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 6, somebody's going to instill values in their life. And we're not going to like what it is. We have to share it. We need to tell our kids about it. Our grandkids about it. And gee, in your notes, we need to value it. That's been the whole topic of this series. Is the value of God's Word. Oh, that we could just grasp what God's trying to tell us here. Verse 72 says that we need to value it more than the money we make. Listen to what it says. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. 
We need to value it more than the money we make. We need to value it better than the food we eat. Verse 103 says this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. It needs to be more important than the money we have in our pocket. It needs to be more important than the food we put in our mouth. We need to value God's word. Psalm 34, 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. It needs to be sweeter than honey or precious than gold. It needs to be held in high esteem. It should be more precious than any earthly treasure. Oh, that we could understand the value of God's word. What, what could it do in my life if I just ate more of it? If I studied more to understand it, if I meditated more on it, if I really did trust it, if I loved it like I want that caused me to share it a little bit more. And I might really value God's word. How about you? John Phillips says this, The value of the word is such that we must proclaim it. We must. If it's important for us to have abundant life, it's important for our neighbor to have abundant life. In the Bible, we have all the treasures of wisdom. It contains the wisdom the politician needs in the halls of Congress for enacting wise and right legislation. It contains the wisdom the teacher needs in the classroom promoting the lives and characters of boys and girls. It contains the wisdom a parent needs for dealing with a difficult child. In the bankrupt society in which we live, we need to return to the gold standard of the Word of God. We need to tell the people the true value of this Word. It's very clear that the psalmist was in love with God's Word. He was prayerful, hopeful, comforted, moved to compassion for the lost, teachable hungry for direction in his life. He was committed to the study of God's Word. He trusted it. He was committed to obey it. He shared it and valued it. I wonder if we might do the same. How about you? I want to challenge you to do something. And I'll have the reading plans ready for next Sunday. And it's not about, again, it's not about how much you get into the Word unless you're going to let God's Word get into you. But I'm going to challenge us as a church to read God's Word through next year. Read the Bible through next year. And I'll provide a reading plan and put it on the back of the, of the sermon guide each week. It'll be a topic of discussion many times on Wednesday night, what we've read that week. But I, I really believe if we read God's Word, it'll begin to get into us. It's like the bucket the little boy carried down to the creek, the coal bucket, the basket that had all the holes in it. It became clean, even unnoticed by the young child. So I'm going to challenge us to read God's Word through, and I'm going to do it with you. I've done it several times. I haven't done it in the last couple of years because I've done other things than reading. But just to read God's Word through in a year. You know what? If you're an average reader, you can read the whole Bible in a year, in about 12 minutes a day. Isn't that amazing? About 12 minutes a day. About what it would take to read it through in a year. 
So I'm going to challenge us to do that. I'll provide the reason today, but I hope that even doing that, it might help us to understand the value of God's Word.